Welcome to the latest episode of the Finding Hope podcast from Rogue Retreat. You can find us in numerous ways. First of all, you can go to facebook.com slash rogue retreat. And we're hosted by anchor.fm. But you can also find us through TuneIn and Apple Podcasts. Without any further ado, on with the latest episode. Thank you very much for being here, and, uh, and I'll I'm Stan, and, and uh, it's really great to have you here. And first of all, can I ask the first question? Because how did how did the Rogue Retreat and the Livability team come to work together? And so, sort of, you could address that for a little bit. I know from the from the police department side of things, we had when we started the Livability team, we had some measurable goals that we wanted to meet and um, really trying to figure out how we were going to meet those goals. We started the, the um, CHOP or the, um, the Chronically Homeless Outreach Program and our Chronic Nuisance Property Program that were already in, in play. <clears throat> so we were able to uh, use that partnership to connect with Rogue Retreat and uh, some of the other shelters to start to house the, the people that we were coming in contact with on the street. Um, we did find that um, as a police department, we definitely couldn't arrest our, our way out of homelessness or cite somebody out of homelessness. So um, we definitely needed partners to help and, and more than willing to help out. And Officer Jewel, I'm, I'm wondering, can you talk a little bit about kind of the change of philosophy? I mean, because you kind of alluded to it that um, that you couldn't really cite people out of homelessness or arrest people out of homelessness. So what, I mean, what has kind of the the philosophy behind um, the livability team brought about um, in terms of kind of changing the perceptions of how everybody works with the homeless community. So I started with the Greenway health and safety team and I ran that team for several years and it's a more commonly known as the sweeps where we go out at night, we would cite people. Um, we would bring out some resources with us, mental health, parole probation, and things like that. Um, but what we found is we'd go in, we'd, we'd issue citations, we'd clean camps up or remove camps that, that needed to be. But um, the people were there, there was nothing that was changing. So we're basically um, just going out there doing enforcement, getting uh, very little people to to or offering real, I guess, substantial help uh, to people. And so with the livability team starting um, and creating the partnerships, there were a lot of other things that kind of came into play with that. Also with the Kelly shelter opening up, um, just becoming more familiar with the shelter process, it enables to help people more. Uh, thank you. Um, and have you noticed the, um, a change in, in relationships in the community as a result of how the livability team is working with everyone? So if, uh, I guess with the homeless population, um, having dedicated officers that were out there on a daily basis, um, we get to know the, the people that are homeless out there. They get to know us. They get to know the, what we're about. So really there's a change in that we developed uh, a trust relationship with uh, a lot of the homeless people that are out there. Um, so that is probably the most significant change that, uh, that I've seen. Okay. Um, you know, and I, I, I feel like it's kind of a privilege on our part to get to work with the livability team like we do, but for a lot of our listeners, they might not be aware of the different ways that the livability team partners with Rover Treat through the campground and the Kelly shelter. Could you talk a little bit about how that kind of came to fruition? 
You bet. So um, because the, the Kelly shelter had opened up, there were, there, there's always a need for people to um, become part, you know, to, to enter that uh, facility. We also had um, the partner summit house uh, through rogue retreat and also through on track um, as a transitional housing source. So um, we had um, went through the grant process, became more familiar with how um, the transition process for homelessness is um, and just became more involved in the process. So, um, you know, we were really misinformed as police officers because it's not what we do. Um, We didn't understand what the need for transition that somebody who's living outside needs basically acclimating into um, being um, inside and, and how life changes when they're indoors and, and just the basic survival needs that they have. So, um, you know, we're, we're really um, on a learning curve and rogue um, retreat really helped educate us and, and bring us along enough. You know, that is, um, that's a really good point. Um, and I don't think a lot of people realize that oftentimes when law enforcement is, um, is responding to calls that you oftentimes you guys are kind of stepping into situations where you have to also wear kind of a social worker hat um, in many cases. And so um, I think for a lot of our folks that listen to this, they might not have been aware that in certain cases you do kind of have to find that fine line of where, where do you do the enforcement? And then at the same time, um, how do you also respond to the other um, crises that you oftentimes encounter that law enforcement might not be the best fit for, but you're kind of the only solution there at the moment. Um, so um, when you, um, when you guys began doing this work, um, did you notice a lot of other communities taking an interest in how um, the city of Medford went about developing this? Yes, absolutely. So um, what we've found is we've, we've started to become the model for, uh, for Oregon and also some other cities um, down south in, in uh, California as well that they want to know how we do things and, and um, how we've created these partnerships. Um, that uh, they're just um, there are quite a few agencies that are just amazed at the progress that we've made and certainly I've, I've said this to, to other people within our group but um, without these partnerships we wouldn't have the success we have um, so uh, that's really been been huge as far as other agencies looking to uh, model what we're doing were you surprised about the results you have achieved uh, yes um, if you would have asked me five years ago if I uh, out there on the greenway, helping people get into houses, help, helping them overcome some of the difficulties they face. Um, I would have, I would have said, no way, that's not what I do. Um, however, um, some of the there's some there's just some cases out there that we've had contact with people and just in getting to know them and what some of the struggles that they face, um, and also just being completely surprised at all the obstacles that they face in order to improve their lives has been just uh, eye opening to us. Yeah, it, it definitely is. I know that one of the things that um, Chad, our executive director, says is that um, homelessness is like falling into a well. And at the end of the day, it doesn't necessarily matter how you fell into it. What matters is everybody needs help getting out of it. Um, and um, I think that that is kind of the, one of the best descriptions to it, because um, oftentimes there is a whole, a whole layer of issues that are oftentimes become barriers that most of us wouldn't think of as barriers unless all of a sudden we were unhoused. Um is, have you noticed um, kind of a, like, is there been any moments since you've started doing this work with the mobility team that have kind of touched your heart? Uh, sure. I'd, I'd say probably within the first few months that we were, that we were doing this was uh, just um, a family, uh, which was a, 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 
mom and a child that had left Arizona. They're fleeing domestic violence and that they ended up in Medford. They had some connections here. However, they lost that, those, the ability to be housed by their, by they're now homeless with the involvement of uh, the livability team and some of the organizations in there, we were able to get them, help them get a house, help them, uh, you know, the, the, the kiddo didn't have any Christmas presents last year. So just going through this whole process of, of becoming part of that family was really, you know, that's, that just um, really had a, a huge impact on me. You know, I think that would have a huge impact on anybody in that sense. Um, no, that, that is absolutely amazing. Um, and so um, if a community were to begin taking an interest in creating a team like this with their local law enforcement, what would kind of be the first steps that you would um, encourage them to take a look at? First thing I'd have to say was, is you have to choose the right people for the position. Um, I had the four, you know, uh, being the corporal in charge of the team, I had the, uh, the fortunate um, circumstances of having just uh, phenomenal officers coming to the team that were, that really had an open mind and were, were really um, not set in, in typical law enforcement ways. They're willing to, to work outside the box. So choosing the right people is really the, the first step in it. Okay. And, and would you say that um, personality wise people, um, what, what types of personalities do you think are the best fit for these types of teams in terms of if you were to choose the right officers or even team of people to do this? have to be police officers that have um, lo- uh, a lot of life experience that a, a genuine interest in pr- improving the community and going about different ways by of improving the community um, and the other thing is just being creative thinkers that um, most police officers are but uh, just um, you know being creative in the way they, they solve those problems but also um, just having the ability to develop relationships with people who are outside our, our normal social circles. Of course, being a, the what it means to be a, a police officer, given by what I've seen over the years, has changed quite a bit over the last, say, 40, 50 years. Would you not think? Oh, absolutely. I'm going on 21 years now, and just in the time that I've been in, I've seen a huge change in, in our uh, just the our, our rules, um, certainly laws have changed. Um, you know, um, way back when I started, marijuana was a big deal. It was illegal at the time. Um, you know, so there's been a transition in, in that. Um, also with uh, just understanding mental health more, understanding addiction more. There's just more education involved in what we do. Uh, and there's definitely more involvement in um, as police officers in the calls that we take. Do you think mental health has become uh, issues involving that has become, let's say, more of an issue than it has been. Um, that's 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 hard to say. Um, I don't think that it it's more of a problem. I just think uh, more people are aware of it. Right. Right. Yeah, I um I definitely feel that um mental health is definitely something that people have become a lot more aware of um, in recent years. And I know that Medford also was at the lead of helping really kind of bring bring about crisis intervention training too, um, so that officers could oftentimes um, work better with um, those that were in crisis at that moment. Um, Officer Jewell, thank you again so much for being here and, um, and sharing this experience with us. Um, 
you know, is there, um, is there kind of a long-term vision for um, the livability team in the city of Medford? And kind of as you've been involved in this, has, have you kind of developed your own vision of what you would like to see kind of this program grow into? Certainly. So, you know, we're, we're constantly reevaluating what we're doing and how we're doing things in the ability team, what's, what has worked and what's not, you know, what hasn't worked. Um, so just, we just want to continue to improve on what we're doing. Um, and the long term is, is I, I, I would like to see us be able to um, increase the amount of availability of, of transitional housing, um, you know, just being part of that. Um, certainly I'm um, seeing an increase in um, helping uh, people goals of homelessness. So um, those are, I guess those are probably some of our short-term and long-term goals that, that uh, we have. All right. And, you know, I know probably one of the things that I imagine that when you began um, kind of doing this work with this team, um, as you began doing more in-depth work with those that are unsheltered, is there anything that, um, that you learned about that you think the community needs to be aware of in terms of with the homeless community? Like for instance, I know for me, the number of homeless seniors that we continue to encounter is baffling to me. Um, has there been any kind of epiphanies that you've kind of ran into in doing this work that you think the community needs to be aware of? Sure. You know, the, I guess part of it is that not everybody that is homeless wants to enter transitional housing. Not everybody that's homeless wants to enter the urban campground. Some people have that as a chosen life and, and um, we need to understand that. And certainly as a little team, we get to know those people, but, um, and then, you know, that is a, the, the senior, um, uh, the availability of, of senior housing. Um, you know, the finding an 83 year old uh, woman living on the greenway with her three dogs, using them as, as a blanket to keep her warm at night and not having any resources whatsoever, uh, through the, the state or locally to help this person out was, you know, that's, that's a travesty. Yeah, um, I, I definitely agree. Um, my father is 81 years old, and so anytime I hear about those types of stories, it definitely does get home, close to home to me because I can't imagine what it would be like to have my father out there being unsheltered in this weather especially. And it could happen to anyone. Hopelessness could be a situation uh, that could happen to any of us. Um, I, be, I was telling Matt one day of the s- statistic that I saw that one out of every four blind people are homeless. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a baffling statistic too, and just in the sense that um, that it's believable. I mean, it's I mean, when people are on disability and fixed incomes, um, whether they're seniors or not, um, a lot of people are being priced out of housing, and so um, it's a all oftentimes kind of a, a silent suffering um, that's happening with some of our folks. Um, Wow. So, um, so yeah, that, um, but with the, the lady that you found on the greenway, um, what were you guys able to do to help her? Um, or were you able to help her? Well, it wasn't until it really wasn't until the livability team came around. Um, and with the help of rope retreat, we were able to get that person into the shelter. Uh, one of the huge obstacles was were the three dogs she had and trying to find out a way to, um, you know, the, the dogs, not only did she not have the resources that she needed to take care of herself, she didn't have the resources to properly take care of the dogs. So we were able to work with her and 
local rescue organizations to get their, you know, a couple of her dogs rehomed, get them care they needed, and um, get her into the shelter with one, of, still maintaining one of her dogs. And, um, you know, I, I found that with a lot of our houseless, that their animals are a huge part of their life. And oh, yeah. also that becomes an obstacle in, in getting into shelters and so on. So the shelters that allow animals is, is phenomenal. Yeah, it's um, when we um, began moving in the direction of doing Hope Village, one of the things that we wanted to do was make sure that we were able to take animals if we could, um, because oftentimes um, that animal was their only source of unconditional support while they were unsheltered. And so it, for us, it felt rather inhumane to make them make a choice at that point when really for them, it's their only support that they had. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that I think um, we need to look at as a community of making sure that when we have admission processes into programs that we are able to try to account for um, all the variables that might keep somebody out. Um, and for many of those, that's their fur babies. Um, absolutely. And so um, officer Jewel, um, is there any way that the community can help partner with the livability team um, in doing the work that you're doing? So I'd say for for the the community, the best way is to contribute to the care organizations that do the outreach to homeless. Um, if uh, if whether it being with uh, you know monitor. With, uh, with volunteer time, whether it's uh, goods or services that you can provide, um, that's the best way that you can help us because the, the more, um, the, the, better, the better equipped the care organizations are, the more help people we can help. Absolutely. And if they wanted to um, reach out to contact anybody from the police department to see about inquiring about how, is there a contact number or a person that they should reach out to? Sure. You can contact any one of us from the livability team um, and one uh, seven seven four four seven eight four. It'll direct you. It goes directly to the livability team. Oh, awesome! Thank you so much. And um, and we have a third guest on here. Her name is Marcy. Um, she is kind of listening in to kind of get a feel for the podcast so that she can help co-host them in the future. Marcy, as you've been listening in, do you have any other questions or, or that you'd like to ask? Um, I don't have any particular questions. I just want to say thank you so much for all that you guys do. Um, working at Rogue Retreat and getting to know a lot of um, the livability team personally through the campground and the Kelly shelter. We just appreciate you so much and all the work that you're doing and just can't thank you enough, really. Thank you. Yeah. You know, um, just from my perspective, one of the things I appreciate so much is, um, is when we look at Southern Oregon and we see a very collaborative um, community in many cases where, we're looking for ways that we can say yes to partnering with each other and, um, and just continuing to improve on the work that's being done. And I'm just grateful that um, this community gets to be held up as a model to other communities of what you can accomplish when you begin working together and when you um, fully embrace each other. And um, just, I just want to thank you for being a part of that trend because I think that um, the work that we're doing here is going to start um, rippling across the country in many cases and helping change other communities in the way that they do this work. And I also want to thank you for being a part of this because uh, this is the first time that I've done this, and I hope that you can see everything okay. I mean, I, it's the first time I've used a webcam for this. <laughs> so it's like a, a very weird experience for me, but I thought I should get one of these things, and it was – it's been a learning experience for me. I'll tell you that much. 
Well, Stan, luckily you look great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, Officer Jewel, this is um, normally these take about a half hour, just a little bit less, and we're kind of coming up towards the end of our time here. Um, is there anything that you would like to add to um, to our listeners that you want them to know before we go ahead and sign off here? Um, I, you know, there's nothing really I can think of. I think you got some great questions, and um, I think we covered, we covered just about everything that, that I could think well, um, once again, I just want to thank you for your service and um, and for really kind of riding the wave of change in this community because, um, like I said, I think it's going to impact communities far beyond our own. And it takes a community um, coming together to be able to make this all work. So thank you for your service and your leadership. Thank you. I'm very fortunate to be in this position. Well, I'll tell you, I, I really like the fact that you're here doing this. And, and Matt and I have talked about having someone – from the livability team for at least, well, probably several months now. And it has finally happened. And I want to thank you for your service and thank you for doing what you do. Oh, thank you. I think the more people that, that uh, get to know what we do and how we go about doing it, um, really education is probably the, 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 the best tool we have right now. So um, I think the, the public in some ways is kind of missing solving um, I guess in quotes the homeless issue because um, there are a lot more um, parts of it before you can completely get everybody housed so yeah no, there definitely is and um, and luckily as a community though we are um, getting to a place where we're collectively coming together to see how we can fix it um, but you know the other issue on top of it is on the other side of it we as a community we also have to figure out how to get more affordable housing built and so, um, but it all starts somewhere. And so I want to thank you for, um, for being an agent of change and, and helping us bring us into the future. And Stan, you want to take us yeah. Just don't yeah. drive. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Anyway, uh, thank you. And this concludes Finding Hope, episode 53, I believe it is. And uh, we'll be, I'll be busy doing one later today with another individual that we'll talk about later. Anyway, have a great day, everybody. Hey, this is Chris Janish, co-producer of the Finding Hope podcast. We hope you enjoy this episode. New episodes out every Wednesday. We'd love if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to connect with us, find Road Retreat on Facebook at facebook.com slash Road Retreat.